companies are reporting their earnings, and although they haven't been bad, they haven't been great either. Is there a war on success? Big question there. Everybody wants to earn lots of money, but sometimes there's a fallout for the people who make it to the top. In fact, I'll show you how you're actually already in the market. First, a look at why. Sonny, there's only one word to describe what's happening, and that is panic. The S&P 500, having reached record highs last week, just couldn't keep the momentum going. We have a lot of money. And they still don't make enough money to survive. Promising that you can make lots of money. Are you suddenly all set for retirement? Minimum wage. Politics. Two and a half billion dollars. You work hard. Tax reform. Social security. Wall Street. Money. Labor. Tax plan. Job creation. Have you ever been in a situation where you wanted to change, but you just didn't know what to do? Pink Floyd in my head all night long now. It's one of those songs. It's like the worm that doesn't stop. Uh, Question. You ever make a decision, even a good one, not even talking bad, you ever make a decision that had an unintended consequence with it that you didn't realize when you made the decision? Never done that. You ever made a financial decision thinking it was the right decision, but it had an unintended consequence that came with it? Anybody ever done that one? Two brave people in the room have done. The rest of us are still reaping that and don't want to talk about it right now. I think we've all done it at one time or the other. You, uh, you start out with the right intention towards something. You don't think your way all the way through it. I think I was in seventh grade. Uh, I was trying to remember seventh or eighth grade. Now, remember, this was back before coal had turned into diamonds, so it was a long time ago when this was going on. But I think I was in seventh or eighth grade when my science teacher first talked about uh, Newton's three laws of motion. And if you quiz me right now and say, what were the three, I could give you two. I don't remember the third, but the third one was simply this. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Meaning for every decision you make, there's a, at times, unknown or unintended consequence that comes with the decision. So that even when you make it with the best of intentions, there can be a side of something that happens that you don't realize, sometimes for years. So let me back up to the beginning of our church 19 years ago. It's 1998. We plant the church. And there were several things that I wanted our church to be known for, to look like, to, uh, to feel like. I wanted the ethos, the spirit of our church to be uh, a certain thing. So one of the things that I made a decision with a great heart, and I think it was the right decision, but I decided early on in the life of our church to downplay finances. So we made decisions like we won't pass a bucket in front of everybody. We'll put offering boxes on the wall. I thought that was a pretty cool decision. Do you? When we do the offering, we don't stand up and I don't know if you've ever been to the church that has two messages. The offering message that's about 15 minutes, and then the offering, and then the real message that comes. But every week it's like that. And I just decided we will not do that. I made the decision early on that God would be our source and that people wouldn't be our source and we wouldn't stand up and try to twist people. We'll just go to God. So with the right heart, with the right decision, and I still believe to this day, it was the right thing to do, but there was an unintended consequence. Let me tell you what it is. The Bible has a lot to say about money. Jesus taught about money. But when you make the conscious decision to downplay it, what you're saying is, I'm going to take a subject that the Bible speaks about, out of play. So that when you do then talk about it, what people feel like is, God, how weird for our pastor. 
to bring up money. Listen, only one person is chuckling right now. People think, how can our pastor, we don't do this at our church. And that's an unintended consequence that should never happen. Because I'll say it this way and see if you could agree with this. When you get money right, there's nothing like it. But when you get money wrong, there's nothing like it. True or not? Do you know the number one reason people divorce is financial issues? They may say to you it's because we don't get along and we fight with each other and we don't feel love towards each other. But when you trace it back, most of the time, it'll be over issues that people just simply can't communicate over, that they see differently over, that they don't understand what God has for us. And you can have unintended consequences all of a sudden. I'll be honest with you. I mean, like, totally vulnerable. Like, every time I teach on it, and in 19 years, I've taught on it on one hand. That's how much I've downplayed it. Even now, when I go to teach about it, there's a reticence. It's like the enemy found a thing in me with an unintended consequence where he wants to just like, don't do this. And I feel so reticent to teach about something that the Bible teaches a lot about. You know why it's important for you? Because when you get it right, there's nothing like it. But when you get it wrong, there's nothing like it. And when you get it wrong, the enemy uses that as a dividing place in your life. Pounds on you. Usually when I do a beginning message in a series, it's really wide. So I'll just tell you right now, it's a short series, three weeks. I think you can tolerate for three weeks. I think you'll like it, but tonight, this weekend, it's just really, really wide. I put in my notes, let me talk about what's changed in 19 years that leads me to the idea of talking about this. Culture has changed in 19 years. Uh, 19 years ago, When we started the church, I came from a church that did church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. Do you guys remember those days? Some of you? And so Chris and I, when we started the church, we all of our children were young. I mean, between the ages of like four and thirteen, we had five of them. And we knew how much it took to do church. That many times a week, plus try to raise a family, plus take care of everything. So we made this conscious decision. We're going to do it one time on the weekend, do it really well. And just bless people with the idea of, hey, come once a week. Let me try it over here. Come once a week. (laughs) So like 19 years ago, to go to church once a week was like such a blessing. Here's what's changed in 19 years. When people today in our culture say, I go to your church, for most people that means I go twice a month. 19 years ago, it meant I go three times a week, four times a month. We shortened it to four times a month, and now today, two to three times. And it's a direct reflection of how much competition there is for time. Not people's hearts for God, but how much competition there is for time. And then it's a direct reflection of how our time gets divided. And when our time gets divided, it divides how we spend our time and how we spend our money. I think what I would teach next week a little bit on is the law of the first. I'll just give this away real quick. We all have a law of the first in our life. If you're a believer, God wants to be the first in your life. And if you're a believer here this weekend, when you got yourself like, Pulled away from such a beautiful day. And where was this one week ago at Life Day, by the way? (laughs) Just real quick, let me just tell you, we're rethinking when we do Life Day. (laughs) 
we're going to put it towards the end of summer and do something a little bit different than gambling uh, over Memorial Day with um, God roulette or whatever you want to call it. I don't know what that, that's called. <laughs> but if you pulled yourself away from like such a wonderful day to come to church, there's something in your heart says God comes first. Do you agree? I mean, something in your life says that. We all have the principle of first. God wants to be first in everything. And many believers will say God comes first, but the way they live their lives. It's really what you do that says who comes first. I'm going to teach a little bit about the principle of first. But this weekend, let me do this. Let me just talk broad-based broad about what money is. The Bible has a lot to say about it, but let me give you three things. If you've got a pen, a pencil, or if you want to use the U version on the online notes, that's great. And if you just want to sit back and kind of take this in, that's fine. But let me give you three things. This is from my experience as a pastor for about 30 years. Things that I've experienced myself. Hear me say this. I've experienced it myself. And things that I've dealt with in other people's lives. So let me give you three things that money is. The first one is money is a shield. A shield. Uh, I don't know how it was in your house, but in my house, around my grandmother, she had this old-fashioned saying, and she would say, save money for a rainy day. You must have had the same grandmother. <laughs> save money for a rainy day. And what she was really saying is, it's sunny right now, and it may be sunny for the next several years of your life, but someday, anybody in here ever lived a someday? Someday, you're going to wake up and it's going to rain. And if you've got something stored away for that, you can survive like a shield around you the rainy day. But if you've ever come to a rainy day and you've got no margin, tell me how bad the rainy day is. I'll say it one more time. Get money right, and there's nothing like it. Get money wrong, and there's nothing like it. Go through a difficult time without a shield around you, and it is hard. I think what the Bible teaches when it comes to money is the idea of not leaving yourself vulnerable to storms. Jesus even taught this. The person who builds their life on the rock when the storms come, not if, when the storms come, will be able to survive because they built it the right way. If you just applied it financially to that idea, if you built your house the right way financially when the storm, not if, but when the storm comes. Many of you have lived more than 10 years. So if you've lived more than 10 years, you've already gone through a downturn in our economy. So I've lived long enough to go through three. I've owned a house for two, and I've watched my house twice go up really high, and then go down really low, and then come back up, and go down, and now it's way back up. Isn't that funny? Some people got caught vulnerable in that storm. So look at me real quick. Hey, look at me. So I'm not talking down to you, and I'm not talking ugly to you. And I'm not trying to stand up here like I'm some money authority. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says about the protection of doing it the right way so that you don't get caught vulnerable in a storm. Because all your prayers, when you get caught in a storm, dude, they're not prayers of thank you, Jesus. They're like, Jesus, come back. And that's a scary place to be caught. And people with the best of intentions... The best of intentions don't calculate that decisions we make have another factor. So sometimes we leverage ourselves out so far that when the storm comes, 
there's an unintended consequence of how we have to live our lives. You're quiet. Solomon. The Bible says the wisest king who ever lived talked a lot about money. Solomon um, put into context what saving was like, what spending all your money would be like, uh, what was smart, what was silly. I mean, he had a lot of, lot of wisdom. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, uh, verse 12, Solomon has just this little, um, this little piece of advice right here. Uh, wisdom is a what? So we try it one more time. Remember, it's me. So when I say what, your mouth opens and words come out. All right. Wisdom is a? As money is a? Money's a shield, a shelter. Now, you can go too far with this because there's people in our society who treat money like it's God. And they believe that money will protect them from everything. Money is not a protection from everything. Money won't get you to heaven. Money won't keep the devil away from you. But when tough times come, money is like a shelter, uh, a shield, a place where you can hide from a storm. So wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. The advantage of knowledge simply is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. So here's what Solomon is saying. Wisdom is a shelter, it'll protect you. Money is a shelter, it'll protect you. But here's the advantage between the two. If you have wisdom, you'll know what to do with your money. Knowing what to do with your money is wisdom. Money is a shield, but it's not everything. Let me give you the second thing money is. And see if you can agree with me on this. Money is a multiplier. You ever hear this cliche? Money won't buy you happiness. Anybody ever heard that? How many of you would like to at least try to find out if money could buy you happiness? Happiness. <laughs> when I say money is a multiplier, here, here's the way that I, this is just my experience in life. Whatever you are before you get money will multiply after you get money. So let me say it one more time. Whatever you are before you get money will just multiply after you get money. So if you are bitter before you get money, Money's not going to make you not bitter. Money will find a way to make you more bitter. People have told me this. If I ever win the lottery, I will be the most generous person you ever met. You want to know the truth? Whatever you are right now, money will reveal in a multiplied way after you get it. If you don't give now, you will just give even less then. Wow. Whoever said that, thank you. So I'm up here working hard, man, and this is true right now. What I'm saying is true. And if you're greedy, getting money won't make you not greedy. It'll make you more greedy. Listen to this, though. If you're generous now, give a generous person more money and watch what happens, man. The most amazing thing takes place. So money is a multiplier, meaning that whatever you are right now, if you get money, it'll just make you more of that. Does the Bible say that? Let's go back to Ecclesiastes. Um, Give me a little liberty with this scripture, but just look at it. Solomon says this, the more you have, the more. So he's just saying if you get more, more happens. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. (laughs) Yes or no? 
So, uh, I think out of the NIV it reads this way, with the increase of goods comes the increase of trouble. So here's, he's not saying this. He's not saying if you have something, it's going to cause you trouble. What he's saying is if you get, there's more responsibility with it. So with increase comes increase. Whatever you are will increase in your life if you get more. So if you are generous, man, you will be a more generous person. And if you are stingy, you will be a more stingy person. If you are fearful, and your whole thing is, i got to hold on to it. Get a lot of money, your fear won't go away. It'll double down on you. I've done this a long time. I know what I'm talking about right now. And people say really silly things to themselves. That's not true. It would change me. It wouldn't. It'll double down whatever you are. Money is a multiplier. And that's what Solomon says. The truth Money doesn't make you happy. It just makes you more of what you already are. Let me give you the third one. So money's a shield. Money's a multiplier. Money's a test. It doesn't matter if you have a little bit or a lot. Money's a test. Now, who taught that? Jesus. And I'll show you right where Jesus teaches on this. Jesus had a lot to say about money. A lot of us today are like, man, all the church talks about is money. That's not true, because for 19 years I haven't. (laughs) But you know what's funny about that? People never say... General Motors, all they want is your money. But when they say the church, all they want is your money. We never say, Walmart, all they want is my money. But people go, church, all they want is your money. Why do we do that? Chick-fil-A. <laughs> they can have my money because I love Chick-fil-A. All right. Uh, <laughs> Anybody else love Chick-fil-A? Man, I love Chick-fil-A. <laughs> oh, sure, I talk about Jesus. No, <laughs> talk about Chick-fil-A. <laughs> His revival. <laughs> you know what we should do? If we're going to have like a summer treat thing, we should have Chick-fil-A one night. That would be a... Some of you won't remember a thing I taught about it, except you go home and go, that's the best pastor I ever heard in my life. I just want to go back there. By the way, can we stop? I'm hungry. I want to get some Chick-fil-A. All right. Uh, money is a test. Matthew 25. It's a familiar scripture. In three of the four gospels, you'll find um, Jesus teach about this, the parable of the talent. And in most of the translations, the talent means money. But it just uses an old-fashioned word, talent but it means money. But just look at this real quick. Jesus is teaching himself. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He's talking about himself getting ready to go away. So a man going on a long trip, he called together his servants, that's us, and entrusted his, say the word with me, his money to them while he was gone. He gives it to three of his servants. Uh, The first one takes the money and multiplies it. The second one takes the money and multiplies it, but just not quite as much. The third one is afraid, fear-based. So he takes the money and he puts it in the ground, thinking uh, when the master comes back, I don't want to lose it. I'm really, I'm afraid to deal with this, so he hides it. And when the master comes back with the first servant who tripled the money, he goes, wow, well done, good and faithful servant. Those are big words. So I'm just going to ask you, if you love God, how many of you want to hear those words someday? 
I mean, here's what you don't want to hear. Who are you? What you want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. So a person who is faithful does something with what's been given to them. So the first one multiplies it, and Jesus says, well done. The second one multiplied it, but not quite as much. Well done. The third one was able to give back. He didn't lose it. He gave back what was given, but he didn't do the right thing with it. And Jesus has some of the most harshest words in Scripture. He doesn't commend him. In fact, he rebukes him, and then he takes what he has, and he gives it to the one who knew what to do with it. Now, the hardest thing is Jesus pushes the guy out. Now, I'm not saying what you do with money is heaven and hell, but what you do with what you've been given matters when you stand before God. Let me say it one more time. What you do with what you've been given will matter when you stand before God. Not heaven and hell, but the reward system. Money is a test. If Jesus uses three people to illustrate it, then one-third of the people right off the bat failed the test. How many people in society today do you think are failing the test of money? A lot. Our area. Let's talk about our area, where we live, where we minister, where our children go to school, where we hang out with each other where we work, our area, here's the way that I would say it. A higher level of income, but it's so leveraged out that there's a lower level of actual wealth. So people have so much, but they're so leveraged with what they have that messages like this scare them, bothers them. Because people think you're putting one more thing on me. I will ask you for nothing. Get money right, and there's nothing like it. Get money wrong, there's nothing like it. I've been on both sides, man. You don't have to have a lot to get it right. You just don't need to be so leveraged that you can't do something with what you have. Can I give you my goals for this church over the next 10 to 12 years? So why 10 to 12? Because I won't be your senior pastor 10 to 12 years from now. I hope I'm around. I hope I'm fed here. But I know what the Lord has put in my heart. And I know that there's another generation that has to take it into the future. And I don't want you to be shocked in 10 years. We're going to prepare for it as we go forward. Now, here's why I'm going to verbally tell you what they are, and this is why it's important. When it comes to financial goals, when you write them down, you automatically increase the possibility by 80%. Most people have a picture in their head, but they never articulate it. Here's the truth. If you never aim at anything, you'll hit it 100% of the time. So I'm like, what? What? I'm doing 100%? What? My goal is for JFC in the next 12 years. 
I want our church to be debt free. Listen to me for a minute. It's not a fundraiser. I don't have a card to pass out. No one's coming to your house. But the place this church needs to be leave, left when I leave, I want it debt free. I want it unleveraged. I want it unencumbered. I want it in a position, man, where when it's done, the house is paid for. Here's what I'm working for at my house right now. We're not moving. We've decided to stay in our place. We're resisting all the temptation. And I'm not saying it's wrong if you're moving. For us, we're resisting all the temptation because I'm very close to having it paid off right now. And I want to have my house paid off, man. I want my house paid off. Do you know how few people can say that? At one time, that used to be the rule of thumb. But now most people get mortgages that will outlive them. I want mine paid off. This is the truth. There is a principle in Scripture. When you take care of God's house, he'll take care of your house. Let me show it to you. Nobody wants me to show it to you? It's like if you show me, I'm committed. Yes, yes. Uh, Haggai. The Lord sent this message through the prophet, prophet Haggai. Uh, why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted so much, but you harvest so little. You've planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, and you're never satisfied. Man, you get so much stuff, and you've got to have more because what you have is not satisfying to you. And you drink, but you're thirsty, and you put on clothes, but you can't keep warm, and your wages disappear through, the, through your pants like you were putting it into pockets that have holes. That ever happened to you? It's like, man, I put it, it's gone. Where'd it go? You okay? My name's John, I'm your pastor, I love you. That scripture goes on to say, test me and trust me in this. Do this and watch what I'll do for you. And sometimes we set our own goals of like, here's what I need to do in my life before I can answer anything that God says. And here's what God says, do this for me and watch what I'll do for you. It's the law of the first. We all live the law of the first. Every one of us lives the law of the first. God wants to be first. Let me give you the second thing. It's my second goal. You're going to say, that's not a financial goal. It's a financial goal. I want a training center at some point. Dude, Amen. if the world today is getting evil, then God must have an awesome plan before he comes back to do some kind of great revival. I believe we stand poised on the verge of maybe the greatest revival mankind has ever seen. When evil comes in like a flood, God raises up a standard call his church, man. We stand poised on maybe, look, I am not fearful of the future. I'm like, bring it on, baby. So only one of two things can happen. I'll either succeed here or I'll go to heaven. Either way, I win. Some kind of training center. And it's so hard to do when we service so much on mortgages. Proverbs 22.6. Look at this scripture. I bet you've seen it. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. Those of you who have raised children, do you believe that's true? Now, it doesn't mean 
Show your children the right way and they'll always go the right way. Here's what it actually means. Teach them the difference between right and wrong and at least when they're adults, they'll know the difference. At least you've given them a foundation they can build their house on. I mean, God knows, look, I've got a stinker or two in my bunch. They don't always do what you tell them to do. Sometimes they read the Bible and go do the opposite of that thing. Where'd they get that from? Their mother. That's where it, that's where it came from. <laughs> in a bigger sense of the word, training people in the ways of God is the smartest thing any church can do to set itself up for the future. That doesn't mean people who feel called to be pastors. That means every person in here should be able to take their sword and wield it effectively in this world. Dude, you should be able to go through this world and you're the one. The pressure inside of you changes the pressure outside instead of the pressure outside changing the pressure inside. Man, you are the called. You are the anointed. You, you You are the church. What a time for the church to rise up and be the church. Man, I want to build a training center. I'd like to spend the rest of my life training people. Let me give you the last one. My goal is for JFC in the next 10 to 12 years. I want to have the next generation in place by the time I'm done. I want to be able to stand in front of you and tell you, this is your pastor. This is where the church is going. This is what it's going to look like. Proverbs 13, 22, the wisdom book. Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren. It's hard to leave an inheritance when you spend it all. You ever seen that bumper sticker, we're spending our grandchildren's inheritance? You ever... so I laugh at that too. I love that. But that's not wisdom. Let me try one more. I laugh at it. It's funny to me. When I think about, ha ha. Do you ever see that one, you can't take it with you to the grave? You ever, you ever seen that? There's no U-Haul on a hearst. Somebody sent me a picture of a U-Haul pulling a hearse, an actual picture of it. Some people think, hey, man, I'm taking it with me. You're not going to take it with you. You're going to store it up for somebody. Somebody's going to get what you're working for. The Bible says this. A smart person gives it to the right people. I'm going to show you a really cool scripture here. So Proverbs 13, 22. Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren. Look at this. But the sinner's wealth passes to... You're going to give it to somebody. Somebody's going to get what you got because you cannot take it with you. You can't. It's impossible. You can send some of it on ahead of you. That's when Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where a thief can't steal it and rust can't rot it and the world can't get it. What you do with it matters. This isn't about me. This isn't about the leech name. This is about a king and a kingdom. A God who's worthy. Until he comes back, this isn't, this isn't to prop up, man, we like our past. This is about Jesus. And so when I stand before him, I want to be able to say it wasn't about me or us. It was about you. And what we did with it was to preserve it 
so that you could use it long past us. You know what? Some of you, some of you will go with me. But some of you will be here for years to come. It's about a king and a kingdom. It's about the future. It's about what it's going to look like. And what we do today matters. I know this is really secular. I'm out of time. Probably a silly way to close a message. One of my favorite movies is Gladiator. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> that I just take the shine off the apple of your pastor like, you have a television? <laughs> I do. I got a 60-inch television, man. Super-duper 4D definition. And I love Gladiator. It brings out something in me. But he says this little remark that I don't think they realized what they were saying, but he says what we do in this life echoes in eternity. What you do right now will echo when you're then and there, and it matters. Now, some of us, man, they hear that message like, God, Pastor, if you knew, I said, you're right, but I don't know what to do. That's the best starting place. God, I don't know what to do. Like coming to the end of yourself is one of the best days of your life. Having my shirt caught on the pulpit was not. <laughs> I'm just going to pray. Pray over you. And then I'll just pray over our offering. The place to always start is just telling God, here I am. I want to be obedient. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to follow you. I know for some of us, man, that's like, God, all I can do is pray that prayer right now. But for some of us, you're hearing something from God right now. Do what God tells you to do. Father, you're so very, very good to us, so very faithful to us. God, you're always generous. You're always patient. You're always kind. Your love endures forever. Your kindness and your mercy are from generation to generation. God, even now, some of us hear this message and we feel so um, messed up because we messed up. And so the message is just one of those, we want to heave it to the side, like anything but that. And the Lord doesn't want you to feel bad, and he doesn't want you to feel guilty, and he doesn't want you to feel condemned. But if you've been in a place where you just simply, <laughs> just like I said, man, when it's wrong, there's nothing like it, you know. Here's what God wants. He wants you to repent. He wants you to say, God, help me. God, I've got to change. God, it's not supposed to be this way. In the next couple of weeks, I'll talk about what you can do to make change. I've had to do it. But the place of humility, oh, like a metal to magnet, God hears the prayers of the humble. When we reject counsel and wisdom, oh, it puts us in such a bad place. If this weekend you find yourself in a place where you're just like, 
I just don't even want to deal with it because it's so bad. Friend, here's what I want you to do. Just tell God, it's so bad, I don't know what to do. Help me. God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on us. God, forgive and God, restore. Every weekend we say the same thing. This church exists to help people discover and recover the promises of God. God is not only doing something for the first time, but he does it again and again in our lives because he's so merciful to us. God, be merciful again. Perhaps you hear this message right now and the Holy Spirit says to you, you're in a position to hear what my heart is saying. Not John's heart, God's heart. If you hear the Holy Spirit, don't harden yourself. If something I've said tonight speaks to you, jump on it, man. Do what God tells you to do. You'll never regret it. The enemy will try 15 ways to talk, to you, talk you out of it. But the reward of hearing the Lord say to you, well done. You'll thank me someday. You'll thank me that I taught this message. You'll thank me that I convinced you to be obedient. You'll thank me. Because to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, is the right thing. God, all of us, all of our campuses, wherever we hear this message, help us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's three ways you can give a JFC. You can do it online. You can do it in person. And you can do it in a repetitive way through our website. Man, I would encourage you in one of those ways. Be a giver. Watch what God does in your life. Thanks for listening to me.